right, so this vision series, a, a sermon like this um, is sometimes difficult to prepare for. Joe and I have talked a lot about, uh, we'd much rather walk through a book with you uh, than try to come up with some trendy, interesting topics to keep you coming back for more. Um, but this sermon, uh, this week felt a little different um, for two reasons, really. Uh, first, these passages in Romans uh, came to mind very easily. Um, after praying about it, uh, what would be life-giving and, and convicting uh, to the Crossing Church in the season we're in right now? Uh, and that may have been because every sermon that I preach, I try to pull from Romans at some point, uh, like at least at the least 70 because um, I think it's the best. Uh, but I do believe uh, God led me these passages uh, today for for you, for, for us. It felt uh, really easy also to write this to you. Felt like a letter. I would write it to my closest friends in order to encourage and challenge them, along with myself. It was very refreshing to write this because uh, I knew who I was writing to. And this is the case for whatever book we're going through, whatever sermon series we have. Uh, this time, uh, I read through these verses, and, and individuals and families came to mind, along with my own family. I was able to picture how God might use us together as one body with many parts to reach our communities uh, with this gospel. So this type of sermon wouldn't feel the same if I was a guest preacher somewhere else uh, because I don't know that it would be encouraging, it would be very enjoyable uh, to uh, preach this type of message to people that I, I don't know. I did that a couple weeks ago at the well, uh, a group that we, we know them, we, we love them. Uh, it was encouraging. It was really good. I preached a sermon on, on unity and that's what they needed uh, that Sunday. Um, it was encouraging. They talk a lot more than we do uh, during the sermons. That's really good. If you ever want to talk, by the way, and say yes, amen, or like a mm, grunt, feel the freedom to do that. Like your pastors, yes, your pastors appreciate it. So if you feel like, oh, I'm going to be quiet, this, this is really some travesty, no, let it go and let it fly. Uh, but that was encouraging. It was, it was a good time. But I don't, I don't know them like I know you. And so today it felt, felt different. Uh, it, it's not the same. To know you. You know me, you know my family, you love my family. Some, uh, I, I know more than others. We've shared stories, we've laughed, we've cried. Uh, some have been through the absolute worst. Uh, and if we're going to see what we read today play out in the Crossman Church, if we truly desire to be in church in Wonder West Monroe, this is exactly what we need to truly know and love one another. We've been given the foundation. Uh, on which to build on. Jesus has sealed our parents on the cross. We've been given the Word and the Holy Spirit. And so now, with this foundation, how do we build on it? How do we go about truly being a church uh, with whatever we have left before we leave this earth? So that's why I want to look at these passages in Romans 12 and 14. We're going to start with verse 3, 12, uh, uh, chapter 12. Paul has just called the church to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And he just goes straight uh, into verse 3 with this. Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts of the church in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we are who uh, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. We have prophecies according to the 
portion of one's faith. We have service in service and teaching and teaching. We have exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So if we are truly going to be the church in our cities, or wherever we're sent uh, someday, to proclaim truth to all, to see them come alive in Christ, to enjoy Jesus as we enjoy Jesus, to become our brothers and sisters, we must first remember who we are. We are many parts in one body. So we have to start there if we're going to see anything done. The minute we become a bunch of individuals trying to do the work of the church, we have failed. The Cross Church has many members of this body, and every one of those members is valued just as much as the next member. Just because this member contributes by preaching, and this member contributes by setting up chairs, does not mean one is raised up over the other. We are one body made up of many parts. Each member of that body has different valuable gifts. I'm going to say the word gifts so many times. I've typed it out so many times, I'm so tired of the word gifts, but I'm not tired of the word gifts. We need to remember that we have individual gifts. Every one of us must believe that each one of us are necessary for this body to function well. If we don't have everyone using their gifts for the kingdom, mind, and work, the body will not be able to function fully as it would if everyone is contributing their God-given gifts. We must remember that we are many made into one body for each other and for this kingdom work. So my hands are extremely useful. Maybe the most useful part of my body. I guess some of my legs because I wouldn't get anywhere. My hands are useful. If I suddenly lose both thumbs, like my hands can get by. I can make them, but in no way they'd be able to fully function as they did when they were at their highest level. So the body needs Crossing Church needs you. Whatever body believers you're a part of, that body needs you. And not the universal you, like you are love or like we need you. Specifically, you. Landon, Sydney, Joseph, just the first day I looked. Alright? Um, everybody, we need you. So if you are here to lie that you have nothing to bring to the table, how, how can I contribute to this body when I'm not gifted in any way? Kill that. Like that is the enemy and silly lies to pull you away from God's people. Even though you might still show up, you're not fully invested because what do I have to offer? Those are lies from the enemy. If you are aware of how you're gifted, you know you're able to do within a church body to provoke kingdom work, but you just don't want to do it. This is a heart problem. Maybe you've been burned out by a church in the past, maybe burned out by us really hurt in some way by the church, really hesitant to buy into the crossing's vision, what group of people you're a part of, it might be easier to attend all the events at multiple gatherings across uh, Monroe Western Road and never truly be known by a group, never truly invest, never truly show your gifts, never truly serve, because if they don't know you, if they don't know what you can do, if they don't really instill you into what they're doing, then how can I get hurt? can't get hurt enough to know. So if this is you, first, I'm sorry. As, as, a, as a pastor of a church now, there's this weight that we feel when we get to our elder meetings and after we shoot pull and catch up and talk about Star Wars and whatever else we're going to, then we feel the weight of how hurt the people of the church are mostly by the church. We, we feel that weight with you. It, it is really hard. It's, it's really sad. 
So I'm sorry. Even the most loving, serving churches are made up of imperfect, selfish people. So I hope that you can really hear what Paul is saying here, that to truly be the church is one body in Christ, individually, members of one another. We are made up of this into this one body of Christ for the work and for one another. If your church life is defined by hiding your gifts, your personality, your story, and fear of being let down by God's people once again, that's tough. But you won't fully experience what it means to be a part of the body until you let those walls down. I'm speaking from experience. Uh, I, it is way longer than an arm's length at first. I'm just like, please don't hurt me again. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being hurt by the people who I'm supposed to be loved by. Because then I let those down, and I bear with one another, and I realize, man, God's people love me. And even if they are hurtful, God's people still love me. And so I hope you can let these walls down to fully experience what the church has to offer. It is so life-giving. But, on the other hand, if you have bought in with us, where this church is going, what we're doing, you meet with your DNA, you are sharing your story, encouraging, praying for one another in your emergency gathering, you are like in your life. I'm ready to be heard. Bring it on. Come on, let's go. Hurt me somebody. I'm going to be known. I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. But, you simply don't know how you're gifted. Because you hit that roadblock. Like, I'm, I'm ready, but like, what do I have to offer? You, you want to be a useful member of this body, but sometimes you feel irrelevant uh, when you compare yourself to someone who is very aware of how God has given them and is flourishing in those gifts that God has given them. This is a simple fix. The, being hurt by the church and hiding who we are, not being known, that's, that takes years, I think, of, of, of work and of repetition and love. This is a simple fix. Ephesians 4, it's not going to be up there, but it says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. He himself, Jesus, gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors or shepherds, sometimes in another translation, and teachers. Two, they gave all these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measure of Christ's fullness. So if you struggle with not knowing how you fit to the body, and you've reached that conclusion of, I don't have any gifts, God has not given me away, I'm just this bland piece of something, I don't know. All right? When you get home today, I would like you to Google, yes, Google, get on Google and search something, or whatever your search uh, browser is. I want you to Google A-S test, A-P-E-S-T, all right, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teacher. I want you to look that up. I want you to answer some questions, read about these descriptions, where you fit in with this group of believers that we call the Crossing Church. We love taking tests to figure out who we are and who we are. And then we love telling everybody about who we are and what number we are, what strength finder thing we are. And then we like telling people, some of them like telling people, well, you're actually this, not this anymore. All right? And so just use that same enthusiasm to, to do this for kingdom-minded work. All these things can be really good. Enneagram, all these things can be really useful. But also the same thing with the best. It, it can be really hurtful and damaging, too. If we think, 
I'm a this, that means I can only do this and not this. And we're really hindering ourselves. But it's really, really good to know how God has given you. It doesn't have to be the APS test. It can be you simply praying and reading and, and talking with others who know you well to find out where you're gifted. We want you to know how you're gifted. We want to talk with you through this. God has made you unique. He has given you ways that He has not given me or the person next to you. We're truly going to be the church in our cities. We need everyone to use their unique God-given gifts. So example of needing each other uh, is anytime I am in charge of anything. Uh, God has made uh, shepherding really important to me. Uh, hospitality, making sure God's people have a safe place where they can breathe, where they can be themselves, not feel like they have to perform, put the walls down, and be known by God's will. This is really important to me. And I think I do it pretty well. A lot of that simply comes from what I got to experience with a few people when we first planted the crossing. Uh, I know I can do this. I've seen it done. Uh, I've seen it work. And I know I can do this. But if it was only me leading with my gift, if none of you were aware of your gifts, and you were just like, let's follow this guy, I guess. I don't know why you do that. But you just said, all right, he's the only one who has gifts. Let's follow him. Or the crossing was filled with just a bunch of me, a bunch of Jesse's who were really good at hospitality, really good at shepherding, and good talks and good conversations. We just want to eat a meal together, share the good and the bad, pray for one another, and then laugh until it's too late and we have to go home. Like, we would be really good at that kind of stuff, but nothing would get done. Like, absolutely nothing. We would do that, and we'd go, wow, that was great. And then let's come back next week and talk some more and laugh some more and play some games and drink some drinks and eat some food, and nothing would get done. Like, none of the actual business stuff, like, we wouldn't have a building. We would have a building. We wouldn't pay rent. We wouldn't be on mission in our city, like, practically reaching others. We'd just be so focused on this. So I know where I'm gifted, but I also know my flaws. I know that I'm evangelism. I'm not the one to go and just shout out loud, hey, come to the cross. Hey, come meet Jesus with me. I'm, I'm better at, hey, you're already in my home. I got you. I caught you. And now I can talk to you and have, have an intimate conversation. But I need evangelists in my life. I need someone next to me who can do the shouting out, come here, we have to say, enjoy Jesus with us. And then, then I can take over. Have you here? God has gifted me in that way. God has gifted you in other ways. We need to know how you're gifted. We need you to know, be known by the church, and then we need you to use your gifts. It's the only way we're going to see our communities love Jesus and enjoy Him as we do. And, and I want to be clear on something like this is the alert, alert. We're thinking and praying about, we're taking tests. Uh, about how God has gifted us and how he wants to use those gifts through us, we must, like absolutely must, expand past Sunday mornings and mission community gatherings. We have to go past that. Those are so important to who we are. Our lives consist of so much more than that. So I teach uh, speech and English. That's it. But I tried to do a little math um, last night. If I am only counting the hours, I'm awake. Um, I'm worshiping with you on Sundays, and I'm gathering at an MC gathering um, at my house, at your house. That is 6% of my week. And I write it up. It was like 5.8, something like that. Right? Of the hours I'm awake, 
setting up chairs and all the kind of stuff we have to do. And then when you show up to my house or I go to your house and we eat, we talk, we share, that's 6% of my awake week. So if we only think about how we're going to use our gifts for kingdom work on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings or whenever I'm with the body, with the Crossing Church, we are ignoring the 94% of our time and the people we are around during those times. Yeah. Ignoring in every facet of our lives, how are we truly being in church? So, when you're thinking about how God is giving you, or you're already aware of how God is giving you, think beyond these times. We want to be together on this. We want to be the church in our city, but it's so much more than Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And I love Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I love them. I have to remind myself, I am so much more than that. We, the church, are so much more than that. We have jobs, we have schools, we have neighbors, we have so much more. So I, I want us to remember that. So not only do we need to be aware of our gifts, we also need to be aware of each other. Once we're aware of our gifts, we need to make sure we don't stop there because that can become very individualized. We need to be aware of others. First Corinthians 12, can we up there? Is he up there anymore? Did it, did it die? Oh, no, no. Okay. Eventually, Joseph will go to the next one. But first Corinthians will not be up there. Uh, God has put the body together to be great honors to the less honorable, so that there will be no division in the body. No division in the body. But the members would have the same concern for each other. So, this is where it's really important. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So this leads us to the rest of Romans 12, which is so, so much. It is so, so good. I can imagine what the first people to hear this letter uh, like did after they read this part. Like the leader, the elder reading this to the small group, gathering in some home, and they're just like, all right, we've got to stop at this. I'm like, go home, let's just meditate on this, pray over this, and think about this a lot more. Because this is a lot. We've got to digest this. So we're reading the same thing today. Starting in verse 9, uh, we're going to go through and stop at 18 for, for our purposes today. So verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not let diligence and zeal be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their deeds, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead, associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own estimation, do not repay anyone evil for evil, give careful thought. To do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, I don't know about you, that is a lot to me. It, it's really good. It's, it's so much, though. And in this, this is the church being persecuted in Rome at the time. Like, Paul, like, they got enough to work on them. Like, don't put this on the plate. Come on, please. Like, let them progress a little bit. But through Paul's writing, God gives them exactly what they need time of persecution and affliction. Not a to-do list to follow, though they look like that to some. A reminder that they have one another. 
They are not alone in this. In order to truly be the body, to, to not be alone, the body, though, must be healthy. For us to truly experience what it means to be in the church, the body, the church, must be healthy. And this is the diagnosis. This is how to be healthy. How to be a healthy body, 9 through 18. It's a lot, but it's, it's so good. So if we could do all this perfectly, not if we could do that perfectly, the body, the head, hand, seat, everything in between, would be 100% and ready to excel in this kingdom mind network. But, unfortunately, we are imperfect. We often struggle to remember that we are part of this large body. And we often want to make life about ourselves. We want to worship the creation rather than the creator. We are hurt by the body. And that makes us want to flee from the body or sometimes hurt the body in return. We could spend all day slowly walking through these verses, but I just want to focus on 9 to 15 for now and simply ask questions for you to think about personally on, on your level, on just, just you walking through these, these verses, asking questions. So for you, if you tend to run to shame because of what you've done or haven't done, um, and then that shame leads to feeling hopeless useless and apathetic. I get it. I know. I, I'm with you 100%. But please do not allow that to happen. Like, don't do that. But not only is there grace, we need you at 100%. Like, there is grace for you. Like, do not feel shame. Jesus died for that shame. Some died for the sin that you're feeling shame about. So I, I don't want you to feel shame. But it's not only that I want that for you. I want you 100%. I want you healthy. I want you out of shame so that we can do this work together. We need you for this work. So if any one of us is suffering because of shame, we are keeping on ourselves. The whole body is going to suffer because of that too. We not only want you to feel the freedom and peace of the gospel, we need you to strive for this work with us, with the body. So let's walk through these uh, few verses and just ask questions. I have to explain a lot about my brain. Who knows? Verse 9. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. So for you, in that verse, is your love truly what you claim it to be as a follower of Christ? Or your actions or lack of actions paint a different picture than what you say on Sunday mornings, MC gatherings, or on social media? love truly what you say it is. It's how you speak, what you say, the things you talk about, is that really how you live. Verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters take the lead in honoring one another. So first, do you truly know God's people? Or are you still on the acquaintance level? Are they brothers and sisters religious acquaintances that you see on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays. Are you keeping others in arms linked because you've been hurt before and you knew and loved others and you don't want that to happen again? And then once you know the body, how are you loving and honoring the members of the body? Sometimes it's not that we're dishonoring anyone. can't do that. We wouldn't do that. We're simply just not doing anything at all. We're focused on ourselves. We truly see each other as family and love one another as family, even through the difficult stuff families go through. It's not all kisses, hugs, and rainbows all the time. 
are we loving and honoring one another as family? Verse 11. Do not, like diligence and zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. And 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Just those two. Are we all about this kingdom work? Because it's everything we are. They're all about this kingdom-minded work. Or, do we not have zeal? We're not fervent spirit. Do we let the creation and the world get in the way? Are we serving the Lord? Are we serving ourselves with these things? And, when, and then when adversity happens, where do you turn when you're faced with these things? Are you patient? Are you filled with the need to pray? Or, frustrated and you try to take matters into your own hands to get stuff done. And finally, 13 and 13 and 15. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we are persecuted by others, do we seek payback. Do we try to hurt others as they hurt us? Especially when it's someone who's a part of the body. They should know better. Why are they hurting me? They need to know they hurt me. And instead of going to them in a loving way and trying to understand each other, it's, I need to hurt you. And we're not going to be physical violent. Hopefully not. But man, I can passively, passively aggressively hurt you. They're my words. Because you did the same for me. Or, do we, instead of that, do we bear with one another? Like truly bear with one another in the good and the bad? Do we truly believe that your needs are my needs and mine are yours? Do we feel pain when others are in pain? Or are we simply glad that we're not the ones suffering? Do we celebrate when others grow and succeed? Or do we become envious that it's not us doing the succeed? Finally, looking at verse 16, this leads us to want to end with in chapter 14. 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Later, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we've seen so far, we need to be reminded and remember that we are one body, made up of many members. We have many gifts, we have a purpose in this body. We need you. And then, once we have that, we know that even with those gifts, as we're going, as we're serving, as we're loving our community and playing the gospel, we need to know and love one another. We need to follow this um, verse 9 through uh, 18. We need to be that people, brothers and sisters in one body, serving and loving one another. And then finally, what does it mean to live in harmony and peace with one another? Already have seen, we've seen we have different gifts, we have different upbringings, we have different backgrounds, we've experienced different things in life, different ways, we put a certain amount of value on different things. So, how can conflict happen within the Crossing Church? And then, how do we hold fast to Jesus during those times instead of building on the conflict? How do we live in harmony with one another? Because if you join a church, whether it's Crossing or anybody else, 
and, it, and you think, man, I'm during the church, so I'm so tired of conflict. I'm just seeking some place where I can have no more conflict, no more arguments, no more differences. Like, you're not going to find that until you get to heaven. <laughs> and so every body believer is going to be different than from you, different experiences, different things. And so if we expect the conflict, again, it doesn't have to be just like fists and faces and just bloodiness, but it's going to be conflict between differences. So if we expect the conflict, how do we instead of just fearing it and just running away from it or even building on it and making our lives with the conflict, how do we instead live in harmony with one another? Romans 14, starting in verse 13. I just want to read uh, all the way to verse 23. Help us understand what Paul is getting at here just a little bit. I'm not going to say too much. And then I just want us to build a weight uh, of 13 to 23. Put the weight of it together. Let it, let it sit. And then we'll, we'll move it immediately after we talk about that a little bit. So 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and persuade the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace, what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. So after that, I really hope we can feel both, both these things. The freedom to, in, in, in Paul, writing to the Romans, is eating meat. Is it unclean or is it not unclean? So for us, we can contextualize a bit. Because I'm eating a hamburger at least every week. Contextualize it to be more than eating and drinking. It's all these things that is we kind of consider the gray area in Scripture. Like, what can I point to in my life that there's nowhere in Scripture it explicitly says do not do this, do not do that. I have to use my own convictions and determine is this sin or is it not sin. All those things. It's way too many to count. So thinking on those things Feel the freedom to eat, drink, and live based on your own convictions, not judging others for thinking and living differently. So I want you to feel the freedom of that, feel the freedom to not live in sin, but everything else, feel the freedom 
Jesus died for your sin. Jesus didn't die for you to follow rules. But the freedom of that. But I also want us to feel the weight of your brother or sister stumbling because of that freedom. And then be willing to lay that down for their sin. There are two ways we can be wrong in this. We can be wrong by judging others for what they're doing or what they're not doing because the stuff we're judging for does not matter. The stuff that God gives us, the stuff He gives, they are meant to point us to Jesus. By themselves, in itself, it doesn't matter. So if I'm judging you based on what you do or what you don't do, I'm in sin. Because that stuff doesn't matter in the long run. But also, I can be the wrong. If I'm clinging to this stuff, I feel freedom. I'm going to enjoy my life, enjoy this freedom because it points me to Jesus. If I cling to that stuff despite my brother and sister being harmed by it, stumbling because of that freedom, that is me living in sin because, once again, the stuff doesn't matter. I am putting this stuff, putting these things, putting these freedoms above my brother and sister in Christ. These are two ways that we can live in sin when it comes to everything else we do in life. We are different people. We have different backgrounds. We have different gifts that we talk about. And we should celebrate that difference. We should celebrate any diversity that we have. Because again, if we are all a bunch of Jessies, nothing's going to be done. It's going to be kind of boring sometimes. And we're going to frustrate each other a lot. We're going to frustrate each other all the time. So we're going to frustrate each other all the time. We're not doing anything. We should not be the same. We should not see to be the same. The stuff that doesn't matter. So often we talk about these three tiers of a pyramid uh, that we kind of find ourselves in, and uh, what we believe and what we feel convicted about, uh, as far as it goes, as a part of the church. And that bottom section is uh, the, the biggest part of the pyramid, the flat pyramid, which is the triangle. But that, that, that bottom section is filled with so much stuff. That I can worship with you, I can have you in my home, my empty gathering, I can uh, go on trips with you, I can talk with you, I can have coffee with you, and we can never even get to that stuff. Like, how you raise your kids versus how I raise my kids is completely different, and that's fine because we can just do this together still. And then the middle tier is a little smaller, there's a little less things than that. The bottom section is so full, we don't even get to all, all that. The middle section is a little smaller. And that might be reform theology. That might be something that is a little gray with just end times. That now I hope it doesn't affect how we worship together. It, it might if, you, if we let it. But man, we can still worship together. We can still be together. We can still be the body. And still think differently in this thing. You know, all these, the middle section. The top tier is where it gets kind of big. The top tier is you believe that there's no way to salvation beyond Jesus Christ. If you do, that ain't me. Like, we, we, we won't worship together. We can be friends. We can uh, try to seek him out some kind of understanding. But that's the difference in that we can't really be a part of the same body because it's, it's different. And that is a really small section of the period. There's, there's not a lot that goes into that. And so, with that middle and the bottom section, we should celebrate diversity. We should celebrate diversity because, guess what? Our cities are diverse. Cities are diverse. We should challenge each other. We should love one another and not judge one another for our differences. We should uplift them. We should try to understand them. But never judge one another. Never cling to the stuff that we think matters at the expense of a member 
it's dying. And so finally, before we close out, before we take communion together, I, I really want us to remember these things. Remember that you are a part of this body. You are one member of this body. You are no more, no less than the member next to you. And please know that we need you. We need your personality. We need your giftings. We cannot do this without every member of this body. So we need you to know your gifts. We need to know, uh, we need you to know how you're gifted and what you can do to serve God, to serve the church, to serve your community. If you don't know that, again, look out research on your own. Also, be with the body and ask them, hey, how do you think I'm gifted? Use that time to encourage one another. I've seen you do this for the I've seen you love this way. I've seen you be hospitable in this way. Use it as a time to encourage one another. Be aware of your gifting, but we also need you to be healthy. We need this body to be healthy. If you are suffering in secret, if you are uh, having this secret sin that is just a burden on your life for however long the season's been, you are not healthy. We don't want to condemn you in that and, and lead you to shame. We want you to be uplifted with the truth of the gospel, with the love of the church. Because we want that for you. We love you. We also really need you here for sin. So that we can do this for others who do not have Jesus. So we need to remember that we are one body, many members. We need to love the body well. We really need to start laying down the stuff that doesn't matter. Lay down the stuff that doesn't matter. Not judging, not clinging to it. All the stuff should point to Jesus. It should be, like Paul said, between us and God. Let it bring us together when it brings together. Do not let it divide. Please do not let the stuff divide. It's just stuff. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go right into communion. Before I pray, uh, this, this time, uh, I hope that it is meaningful to you. I hope that it doesn't become this routine like it might be sometimes, just like coming on Sunday. Take the bread and juice. Let it be meaningful to you. Remember why we say this. In remembrance of this sacrifice of propitiation that Jesus has for us on the cross. And don't let it die there. Because he didn't just die there. He rose again in order that we have eternal life. And life. look forward to that day. As you're eating this bread, as you're drinking this juice, remember the sacrifice for the weight Jesus died on the cross for you in the worst way possible. And then feel the joy as we prepare to worship because it ends there. It's not a means to an end. He is means to something so much more. We need to be with Him forever without sin. So as we take this meal together, I'm going to pray. And as you feel led, as you uh, are moved by the truth of the gospel, whenever you're ready, come take elements for your seat. Uh, I'll read a uh, passage over us and we'll take meaning together for, for anybody. Any and all repentant God has believers, members or not, I hope you do come. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are, what you've done for us, here against us. I you remember that always. Remember that you have made us family, you've made us one body, made us made members. God, please remind us. You've not just made us up in this body of believers just to simply 
be together, to simply come, join, worship, hear a word, and then go out and do nothing. Now let this change our hearts, soften our hardened hearts, open our eyes to those who do not know you, who are worshiping religion rather than King Jesus, those who are caught up in everything else but you, caught up in the stuff, and allow that to be dividing. Pray, God, that we remember who we are because of what we've done. Pray that we strive to love, honor, and serve one another with our gifts that you've given us. And God, pray that we can be a body of believers who love and serve our communities in the same way we can love and serve by you and serve by each other so that we see a revival happen among us in our life. Make us desperate for those who don't know you. Do this now as we are reminded of your sacrifice, reminded of where you are now, where we get to be someday. And do this as we worship, as we're sent out to accomplish this work you set us out on. Love you and thank you. Jesus, amen. So come here.
path of God's truth, to confirm the promises of the Father, so that Gentiles may glorify God for His mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people praise Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, one who rises to rule the Gentiles. Gentiles will hope in him. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, let's eat, drink to the King today. Father, be with us now as we continue for the wait our convictions, but also for the joy that you have died for us, the joy that you have a place for us forever, and a joy of zeal to love others that we and as we do love. You as we worship, as we think longingly on the day, we get to be with you forever. Remind us there is work to be done. We love you. Thank you, Jesus.